0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.church. Good morning. My name is Renee Gonzalez, and I'm one of the elders here at downtown campus. And I also serve as a pastoral resident for worship and Hispanic ministry here. So would you please... Go with me in your Bibles to our text today, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse 9. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was some, somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answer, pray for me. To the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, be with us this morning. And I pray that you would grant your servant to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. The title for the sermon this morning is The Unstoppable Gospel. Before we get into the passage this morning, we need to be reminded of of the difficult times that the early church is going through at this point in the book of Acts. Chapter 8 begins with the reminder that Stephen has been just executed. This brought great lamentation and mourning within the church. Not only that, but Then verse 3 of chapter 8 says that Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging people off and putting them in prison. Others had to flee the city to escape from this persecution. So I, I think we can safely assume that for some of the believers in Jerusalem, this situation... Seem like a pretty dark time for the church. For some, these events might even look like this one. This was the end of the church, the end of the spreading of the gospel. But in spite of the difficult situation, the author of Acts, Acts seems to have a gospel-centered narrative for all what, for what's happening. I say this because. Just after the first three verses in chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, put this event in this great gospel perspective. Pastor Kenny preached about this three Sundays ago. So, yes, Stephen is dead. Yes, many people that they know and love are in prison. And yes, many had to leave Jerusalem because of the persecution, and yes, the church is scattered, but the scattered church goes about preaching the Word. People believe, people are set free from the bondage of darkness, and the gospel continues to be proclaimed, and there is much joy For the first time, entire Samaritan villages are paying attention to the gospel about Jesus, the promised Messiah, and are putting their trust in Him. So as we consider verses 9 through 25 this morning, this is how I summarize the main point. I think the main point of these verses is nothing can ultimately stop the spread of the gospel. Nothing can ultimately spread, stop the spread of the gospel. And in this specific passage, I have a longer main point. The spread of the gospel will not be stopped. Stopped. By the hatred and prejudice, nor by Satan or false religion, nor by the power and influence of men. Let me repeat that the spread of the gospel will not be stopped by hatred and prejudice, nor by Satan or false religion, nor by the power and influence of men. I say this with confidence because. I believe Luke is very intentional in framing this whole section with reference to proclamation of the gospel and expansion of the missionary work of the church outside Jerusalem. You can see this in chapter 8 in verse 4 when he says that those who were a scatter. you know, that one thing would be just to say the church was scattered, But then he says, those that were scattered went about preaching the word. And then again, at the end of our passage today, uh, in verse 25, when he says, again, that Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they were preaching the gospel. And then at the very end of chapter 8, in verse 40, He he, he does that again when he says that Philip passed through and he preached the gospel to all of the towns. So once and once again, Luke wants to make sure that his readers know that the gospel continues to advance. And And he doesn't want us to lose sight of what this book is all about. That even when there's hostility and persecution, when there's death, when there's trouble, even then the gospel continues to be proclaimed. That sinners continue to be saved, that lives continue to be transformed, and that all opposition from men and Satan will not ultimately defeat the power of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my hope for us this morning, my hope for us is that this text would give us great hope in the power of the gospel. Bethlehem, my hope is that this text would give us hope in the power of the gospel. And also challenge us to be bold proclaimers of this gospel. My hope is that even in the midst of our own struggles, the Holy Spirit will impress in our hearts that nothing, nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. Amen? So my outline for the sermon is is in three parts. First, the gospel would not be stopped by hatred and prejudice. Second, the gospel would not be stopped by the work of Satan and all false religion. And third, the gospel would not be stopped by the power of and influence of men. So first, the gospel would not be stopped by hatred and prejudice. I say that because I want to start where Pastor Kenny left us three Sundays ago. The reality that there was a deep and ancient enmity between Jews and Samaritans. This was a centuries-long hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Both the Bible and history testify about this reality. As Pastor Kenny mentioned before, Samaritans were seen as mixed race. They were seen as spiritually corrupt Israelites, as pagan foreigners who created a religion for themselves that the Jews considered heresy. They established a different center of worship, a temple on Mount Jezreel, claiming it as where Moses had originally intended for the Israelites to worship. They had their own unique vision of the five books written by Moses, the Pentateuch, But rejected the writings of the prophets and the Jewish traditions. The Samaritans saw themselves as the true descendants of Israel and preservers of the true religion, while considering that Jerusalem temple and the Levitical priesthood were illegitimate. Even more in the past, when when Jews returned to rebuild Jerusalem after exile, they were opposed by Samaritans. And this led to further ill will as the two sects were established in the land in opposition to one another. To the Jews, a Samaritan was more revolting than a Gentile. Because for them, Samaritans were half-breeds to true religion. Even in Jesus' day, the Gospel of John says that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, John 4, 9. They would even walk around Samaritan territory rather than take the straight path between Galilee and Jerusalem through Samaria. The ultimate insult from the Jews to Jesus, was to call Him a Samaritan. In John four 48, 8, 48 I'm sorry. They call Him Samaritan and demon-possessed. That, that was the ultimate insult. There are also many indications in the New Testament that even the disciples themselves had strong feelings against the Samaritans. For example, in in an earlier episode, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, at the time when he was on his way to Jerusalem, he decides that he and his disciples will travel south and through Samaria. So Jesus sent some of his disciples ahead of him to make preparations in this Samaritan village for them to stay there. However, the local Samaritans were not friendly at all. They rejected Jesus and would not let his disciples make any arrangements for him. So when James and John saw the Samaritans' rude behavior, they came back to Jesus and asked him, Can we call down fire down from heaven on these guys? and teach them a lesson, and destroy this Samaritan village. You can, you can feel the tension here. The Bible tells that Jesus rebuked them and just told them to go to another village. So I think these contexts help us to see why this portion of the narrative in Acts is so significant. Just as Jesus promised in Act 1 8, God's people receive power of the Holy Spirit to be witness in Samaria. The fact that the gospel is going beyond Jerusalem and into Samaria does not only prove God's desire for geographical expansion of the mission, but maybe more important, his desire for all peoples to hear the gospel and be saved even those even those whom his disciples hate the power op- operating in these disciples was not only the power to make long journeys and the power to perform miracles and endure opposition but also by the holy spirit they receive the power to love and bless their own enemies to love and to bless them with the good news of the gospel. We see that it was not their preference or their ideas of whom should receive the gospel who set the agenda. But it was God's infinite mercy towards whole peoples. So, let me start applying some of these for us. I think there is both grace and a challenge for us in this in this passage, in this portion. It is very encouraging to me to see God's mercy not only towards the Samaritans, but also towards His Samaritan-hating disciples. It is very interesting. That of all peoples, God sends his disciple John. The same guy who wanted fire to fall over the Samaritan village. He sends him back to Samaria, to the Samaritan village. But now, because of the gospel, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he's now praying not for fire to fall down on these people, but for the Holy Spirit to fall down on them. Hatred and prejudice are a powerful force. We know that. It is powerful enough to give you a lot of motivation, a lot of strength to do what it takes to to avoid someone, someone you don't like. But what we're saying this morning is that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit is more powerful than hatred and prejudice. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be witnesses, even to Samaria. So there's hope for you and me this morning because this same power is available for us. It's available to us in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it could be easier to go to the other side of the world to preach the gospel to people that we don't know than to go across the street or across the town or sometimes even across the table and preach the gospel to someone that we don't like. But there's power. There's power for us. So let me ask you this. What, what town are you avoiding? What house are you avoiding? What, what person are you avoiding? What conversation are you running away from? Here's my prayer that even this morning... You and I can repent. You and I can come to God and say, God, I need your power. God, I need this power to go to places that I don't want to go. And be a witness of Jesus Christ for the sake of your name. And be able to pray for those who I don't like. So again, Point one is a reminder that the gospel would not be stopped by hatred and prejudice. Point two, the gospel would not be stopped by satanic influence and false religion. Now we see in verse, in verse 7 and also in verse 9 through 11, we're told about the spiritual condition of this city before Philip's arrival with the gospel. It seems from our passage that they were significant religious and even satanic strongholds in this place. In verse 7, it says that there were many in the city who had unclean spirits. This refers to the demonic activity and demonic possession. And you know, these demons are fallen angels. Demons are fallen angels who, along with Satan, chose to rebel against God. Some, The Bible says that some demons are already locked in darkness, bound with everlasting change for their sin. Others are free to roam and are referred to as the power of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. the demons still follow Satan as their leader and do battle with the holy angels in an attempt to frustrate God's plan and hinder God's people. So Satan and his demons now look to destroy the work of God and deceive anyone they can. Demons in the Bible are described as evil spirits, unclean spirits, lying spirits, and angels of Satan. Satan and his demons deceive the world, promulgate false doctrine, attack Christians, and combat the holy angels. Demons as spirit beings have the ability to take possession of physical bodies. Demonic possession occurs when a person's body is completely controlled by a demon. And as we see in verse 7, that in this Samaritan city, many, there were many who were were devil-possessed. There were only the influence and control of spiritual powers greater than themselves, and that led to unhappiness and misery. Also, the text says that not only this was a place under demonic influence, but that the people there were also deceived by a man called Simon, who through his practice of magic had convinced everyone that he was great and even that he himself was the power of God called great. Everyone paid attention to him and everyone in the city was amazed at his magical powers. So the influence of this man was massive. So, we, we can ask the question so, so, why is Luke providing all these details, not only about the demonic activity, but also about these men, Simon the magician? Some commentators call these, in other passages in Acts, uh, a an anti magical apologetic. That's a cool term anti magical apologetic meaning that Luke wants to make a direct contrast between these two powers. The power of magic represented by Simon and the power of Jesus and the gospel represented by the ministry of Philip. The wording in the passage makes it very clear that Luke is comparing Simon and Philip in this way. Both um, perform wonders both draw crowds, both uh, are called great power, and in um, Philip, it makes great powers in his wonders. People are amazed by their miracles, and both of them are heated. But I think the contrast is also related to the character, to the characters in this story. Simon is presented as this famous, wealthy, influential, powerful, self exalted celebrity who, for a long time, maybe even decades, has built his reputation through his powerful magic. I mean, most likely, children in Samaria have posters of Simon. Hanging on their rooms. And people ask autographs when he passes by. He, you know, he's kind of a national hero. And then on the other hand, in this narrative, we have Philip. A faithful brother who is not one of the twelve, but who, who hasn't... Tr- he has been entrusted with the responsibility of making sure that the Hellenistic widows in Jerusalem were provided with the daily food. Maybe some of us will call Philip more of a logistics guy. So I think the contrast that Luke is making in this passage for his readers and for us to be, and for us to see is, the question I guess he's saying is, is the most powerful? Magician in the land, a match for the power of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ operating through one of his humble servants. And I think the answer for us to this morning is no, no, the most powerful magician in the land, the one called great, is no match to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No powerful magic and no power of hell can defeat Jesus. And no power of hell can stop the advance of the gospel. And that, makes, that takes us to the next part of our story here. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, as, they preached, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. This is a, this is a big turn of events. This, just let me make some observations here. It says that the people of Samaria believed, and we are told that they what they believed in. It is the good news. It is the good news about the kingdom of God. It is the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So please note that in Acts, once and once again, the greatest miracle continues to be the miracle of saving faith. Yes, there were miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance, but it was only when they heard the gospel of the kingdom of God, it was only when they heard that Jesus is the promised Messiah, it was only when they heard that it is required faith and repentance, they believed and they were baptized. Those who were captive under the bondage of Satan and under demonic oppression And those who were under the deceit of false religion, now, after hearing the gospel, they now believe in the truth. That's the greatest miracle in this story. Now they have encountered real power through Jesus Christ, the power of God for salvation found in the gospel. So let me apply this for us let us not lose heart. Even when we see our enemy working, even when we do not ignore his work among us, even then, let us us not lose heart. Let us continue to faithfully preach the word and the gospel and pray that God would continue to bring about miracles of conversion among us. Like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians two, Second Corinthians 4, chapter, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, as you proclaim the gospel, let's have this hope. Let's have this hope of the power of God able to defeat the power of Satan who's blinded the eyes of the unbelievers and the power that God had at the beginning when he created light. That's our hope. That's our hope for those who are still blind in their sin. Let me quickly. Just make a comment about the next section, verse fourteen through 15, through seventeen. Tells us about the reaction from the from the disciples in Jerusalem. They they wanted to confirm the work of God amongst the Samaritans, so they come, they see what God is doing, they pray for them, and these new believers receive uh, the Holy Spirit. Some see this passage as an evidence of what some people call a second blessing from the Spirit. You know, the, the moment in which one believer receives Jesus Christ, and then later in his life, he, he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I believe that... I don't think that's the case in this, in this passage. I believe uh, that... There was, there was a, a special moment in, in redemptive history happening here. This is, a, this is a, new, a new group of people that is receiving the gospel. And it's very, very interesting that the same thing that happened to the disciples of Pentecost happens now to the Samaritans, will happen with the Gentiles again. A confirmation that the Holy Spirit is in them. By the, by, the, by the imposition of hands from the, from the, the, from the disciples. So, so I, think, I think it was fitting um, for the disciples to come and pray. I think this is not the normative way in which the Holy Spirit works. I think this is a beautiful picture that the same Spirit dwelling in them, in the disciples, is not dwelling in this Samaritan brothers and sisters that just days ago were strangers and enemies. Now brothers and sisters, watched by the blood of Jesus, baptized in His holy name, and filled by the same Spirit. So, again, the gospel would not be stopped by satanic influence and false religion. And just really quickly, The gospel would not be stopped by the power of influence of man. This man, Simon, had gained so much influence. And at at this point in in the narrative, he wants to to be part of what's going on. And he believes that his money and influence would be enough to grant him a part of this. Peter rebukes him and reminds him that the power of God the gospel cannot and the power of the Holy Spirit cannot be bought with money or human influence and he rebukes him. There's you know there's there's questions whether whether this man really believed. I I think I think based on what Peter said and based on, on later history, it seems that his, his faith was not real. The intention of his heart was, was to gain more power. And it required discernment from the disciples to see that. So let me let me stop right now and this is this is a special morning we we have the joy of participating together from from communion. Um, and I think it's so fitting for us to, to do this at the end of this message. We are hoping that the gospel will continue to advance and that this is not mainly because our greatest strategies or our own strength or remarkable gifting or history but our trust is in God's power and His grace to save sinners. That is even my hope right now as I stand before you. So, we are talking about what the Lord is doing here in this passage. And, and now, as we transition to communion... What a blessing we have to participate together of this. Because in this moment, we remember that, that Christ was crucified, and he died for our sins, and he rose again, and that only by faith in His name and by His merits we have received the forgiveness of our sins. and the Spirit of God dwells in us, and that in Him we have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we believe, and this is the gospel that we proclaim, and this is the gospel that we remember together as we participate from communion. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll, I'll, I'll give a moment for us to pray and reflect before we participate from, from the elements. And Lord, we, we believe your word this morning. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel because your desire and your plan is to save sinners through the faithful proclamation of the gospel to everyone, to every person, to all peoples. So as we participate, as we reflect in your sacrifice together, Help us to grow in hope and confidence and help us to grow in boldness to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.